Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast. Uh, my name is Ryan McGee. I'm coming to you from Richmond, Virginia, and joining me as always, our professor of Peel in Southampton, England, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, um, have you done any curling this summer? Not yet. Soon, though. I think it's going to, I'm getting uh, messages to come out curling, believe it or not, in late July. They've got the ice down at, uh, at Fenton's rink already? No. So Fenton's doesn't get ice till October. The new rink in Preston's actually open year round. So uh, we might be running up there for a little weekend thing in a couple of weeks time. And then also there's ice up in Scotland at Stirling, which is where uh, Team GB plays their trains. And um, they're open year round as well. So we might be sneaking up there for a little bit too. Yeah, I saw Fenton's Rink tweeted that they are shearing all their sheep this week. So <laughs> not enough not enough time to make ice there, I guess. Um, our league started, so I'm actually curling. It's, uh, it is curling season in Virginia because that's when we can get ice. So um, yeah, we've been, we're, we're 0-2. Um, I had to skip a game because our skip was out of town and it did not go well, um, probably because I had to play skip. But yeah, we're uh, we're looking to to get off the Schneid uh, next week in our league. Well, uh, so how many how many rounds do you guys play there? Uh, we're playing six. It's a little six week six game league. Uh, we took we took um, July fourth off, but yeah, just a quick six week six week summer league. And it looks like we're actually going to get ice in the fall, which is great, except it's on Saturdays and Saturdays in the fall are a non-starter for me. Yeah. With college football, obviously. So, so you'll have a six week season this year. Basically I'm going to get to play six games this season and then until at least until college football season is over. Yeah. Well, six games is better than nothing, right? Yep. Yep. Um, so Jonathan, we have a guest this week. And so we have, we have guests, uh, or I guess we have people on this podcast from three different countries. Um, so we are welcoming anchor and reporter Brady Lang from 650 CKOM in Saskatoon. And he's going to talk to us about the state of curling there in Saskatchewan, which is, um, for those of you in the States, it's a hotbed of curling. Um, it's, and traditionally has been one of the biggest curling fan bases in the world there in Saskatchewan. Uh, they have a huge passion for the sport. Brady's going to tell us about that. And he's going to tell us about um, kind of some interesting trends uh, when it comes to grassroots curling there in Saskatchewan. Uh, Brady uh, was born and bred in the province and he started writing about sports and news about six years ago when he was uh, at the University of Regina and he was at the Carillion, which is the school paper there. Uh, he is now anchor and reporter, as I said, for 650 CKOM in Saskatoon. He's also done some writing uh, elsewhere in the province, uh, including for Battlefords Now, and he had a three-part series that he wrote about the state of curling in the province uh, that you can find if you go to sasknow.com. He's going to tell us a little bit about that series and about curling in Saskatchewan. So we welcome Brady Lang. Brady, thank you so much for joining us. Ah, Thanks for having me, guys. So how did you get started? You said you've kind of become... uh, 
the curling guy there at the radio station that you work for there in Saskatchewan. Can you tell us how that came about and kind of what your history is with the sport? Are you a curler? Are you in a league or did this kind of just happen by accident? So it's, it's kind of weird. Like, I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing here. I just moved over. I was at Battleford's now for a year, but when I was there, I, I guess you could consider me the, the curling guy. Cause it was kind of just thrown on my lap. We had, uh, the Meridian Canadian open here. Oh, I guess it would have been in early January, right after uh, Christmas. And yeah, it, <laughs> I did the morning news. So one day when you're, when you're, in kind of a smaller market, you only have a few people to do things, right? So they just basically said, okay, do your morning run. Uh, and then at about 7.30, head to the rink and just start reporting. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do for reporting? Do you want me just to email you scores? And they're like, I guess do it. Do what you want. So I, I kind of sat there and I ran with it. And I, I looked at my boss before I left. I was like, you want a video before? Sure. It's like, okay. So I went and did a video and I swear to God, it took me about 30, 40 takes and it was the worst thing ever. Ha- try saying Tiranzoni <laughs> in a, in a, <laughs> in a standup when you not, not, I knew a little bit about curling, but not Tiranzoni know enough about curling. So <laughs> I was just sitting there trying to talk everything through and, um, Finally, it, it got going, and I had a few guys up there that were really helping me through everything, and we got through, and I looked down, and I had like a couple hundred extra followers after uh, that whole week, and it was just strictly because I was running around the rink and taking videos and doing everything that you can because curling such a unique sport in the way that there's five, six games going on at the same time at the, at those levels, at least that you can really, if you're zoning in on the one game that people want to see, they're going to follow you because either a, there's no one like broadcasting the game or B there's, they're not broadcasting in the game that you want. And for us in Saskatchewan, Robin Silvernagel this year was just unreal. And watching her, I feel thankful that she did so well because I don't think that my career would have been at this point if it wasn't for her in a weird way doing so well because it was just, I I don't want to say I piggybacked on her success, but I piggybacked <laughs> on her success because I, I, <laughs> I watched her all the way through this year. And like, yeah, it, it just became sort of a thing in which like if there was a curling game on, I'm getting DMS or I'm getting tweets and people are asking like, what's going on. And I'm in the past just, Oh, I'm in North Battleford. Sorry. I'm not in Alberta right now, but uh, yeah, it's, it was interesting and it's, it's definitely been fun. Just shows you the, the, the passion for the sport for the, the people that follow this, especially there in Saskatchewan. Right. Yeah, yeah, we love it here because, like, we obviously have hockey. We love hockey. Basketball, still trying to get a hold of that a lot here. Um, Obviously, the Raptors thing helped a lot. But, uh, yeah, in the other sense, it's like, well, we can get back into that when we we go deeper into this podcast, when we start talking about, you know, the rundown on why Saskatchewan loves it so much. 
Well, that'll be a tease right there, right there. <laughs> so yeah, for so for our for our American listeners, um, and the yeah. people who aren't necessarily familiar with the history of curling, especially there in Canada, like what 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 is it about the sport that Saskatchewan has kind of um, attached it, attached itself to 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 the sport? Like, why is Saskatchewan such a hotbed for curling? Uh, it's cold here. <laughs> <laughs> It's cold and we need something to do. And even in a weird way, we can do this on the lakes. If you really need to, you just got to freeze a milk jug and just <laughs> fling her down the ice. But no, it, like it's, it was just a pastime for so, so long in this province. And um, in the three part, like the state of curling in Saskatchewan, I kind of outlined everything in which we're, we're such a busy society that this game's hurting now. Um, back then we didn't have very much to do. Like, uh, I talked to a lot of people where they were, they'd go with their parents to bond spiels when they were kids. And now it used to be family oriented. And now you're sitting there and it, people aren't going cause they got one kid in double a peewee hockey. And then on the other side, they got a, another kid that's in dance. They, they're, they're literally running across the province to appease everything. And there's just not enough time, I guess. Uh, but as for like history, like in Saskatchewan, like there's really not much to do in the winter unless you're ripping around on a skidoo or playing hockey or flying down a, a hill. We don't have mountains here. We, we fly down a hill to snowboard or ski. But like, yeah, it's it kind of is what it is. It's, it's just one of those things, especially small towns. And a lot of people, bond spiels, you know, they have that notorious uh, kind of following of liquor, obviously. Uh, <laughs> and, like, there's not much to do here. It's cold. We like to drink, too. So, um, yeah, I guess the, all those things kind of correlated. Uh, and and I was nervous that people were going to not want to talk about the drinking factor. We just changed our rules a few years ago. Uh Generally standard everywhere across the world is 0.08 for blowing over, right? For liquor and everything. In Saskatchewan, it they kind of threw the reins on that, so it's mm. 0.04. So in a weird way, I, someone goes out for even a league night and has a couple drinks, they get stopped on their way home, they could lose their license. Oh, wow. So, so, and that's yeah. even... that. It's even more so in Saskatchewan because, you know, you only have, you have the two population centers there, right? It's based Saskatoon and Regina are the two big population centers. But other than that, it's kind of, it's small towns and farmland. So you probably have people, you know, they got to drive a ways to get to the curling club, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's the last time I checked, it was like 235 and 265, like uh, 100,000 people in uh, Regina and Saskatchewan. So that's about half a little bit lower than half of the province is in the big centers. So when it, we're a farming province, mm -hmm. like first off, um, and a lot of these small town curling rinks thrived off of bond spiels. Um, and it, it sounds weird, but when you think about it, you get the bar sales, you get the people in there, they're paying to go to the bond spiel. Now that bond spiels are kind of dying out, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's saying the end, but the, you can see the end in sight. It's, it's, it sucks from 
uh, standpoint in which like there's so many people that we've we've brought out and I, I highlighted bigger because like that's the home of Sandra Schmerler and that's Robin Silvernagel. Robin Silvernagel is changing the way people are looking at curling, not just in Saskatchewan, but all across Canada. And I don't know how big of an influence she is down there, but we're at a point where we can really make these strides. And even in the curling hotbed of Saskatchewan and possibly even Canada um, in bigger, the, the doors are not being shut, but they're, they're not being opened real quickly. <laughs> like uh, they're, they're struggling and everyone's struggling. But when you have someone like Robin Silvernagel there, that's kind of, that can be that draw in and they're still hurting. What more are you going to do? So is it's, it's something that Jonathan has talked a lot about on this podcast that, you know, there's almost, you know, there's a curling bubble coming and it's, if you have, if you only have the top level curlers and the newcomers that that's, that's not sustainable for curling as a sport. You have to have that middle class of curler that what he called what Jonathan, you refer to it as the, the competitive club curler. Um, so if that's declining, I mean, I guess my question is, um, is Saskatchewan and I mean, even to, even to get even more micro, uh, the club in bigger, um, is that the canary in the coal mine for, for curling? You know, I think the ov- overall, the strength of the sport requires it to be strong in Canada because that's where the money is for this sport. So if we're losing curlers in Saskatchewan, if we're losing curlers in bigger and that club is, you know, struggling to break even, is that a s- bad sign for the sport overall and in Canada? Yeah, I think so. Um, and that's why I was, it, it's, it was one of those articles that it was really hard to write um because everyone knows that this is happening like i i called robin about it just out of the blue one day and i was like okay i'll keep you off the record but i want to talk to you about like bond spiels and curling and everything and she was like no you can turn it on i'll talk about it that's awesome i'm not afraid because everyone's seeing it right uh she's yeah she was great during this because obviously she is from bigger. So I was set up talking to one of her cousins who runs the whole thing. And, and when you see it from that standpoint, it's super weird because we're, we're kind of at a, at a crossroads because there's, there's kids that still want to do it and want to try. But like you guys are saying about the club curlers, um, obviously they like going to curl and, for better lack of a term, having a couple tying one on and prior they could have three, four drinks and wait a couple hours and they were good to go. Now it's a lot different. They, they get stopped on a, on a grid road anywhere. What can you do without a license in rural Saskatchewan? Not much. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a big, yeah. that's, I mean, you laugh, Ryan, but that's a big, big issue. I remember even growing up, like, you know, late 80s, early 90s is really when the the drunk driving laws came into effect. And a lot of the older guys, the club said that really changed the culture. If you go back to the 60s and 70s, you know, for good or for ill, people would just stick around the club till, till 1, 2 a.m. on a weeknight drinking. Like It's probably not good at a, at a social level that people are acting that way. But 
once the the drunk driving laws kicked in, uh, a lot of people stopped doing it then, and I think it's gotten you know less acceptable now, and the the penalties are a lot stricter. And so, taking the drinking out of curling, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it's it's definitely kind of pulled something back from the game. Yeah, exactly. And like this is super weird. I saw this down in Ontario. They like obviously you guys know that we legalized marijuana. They had cat like they they had a I forget what it was called. It was. It was like a canna spiel or something. Is this the bong spiel? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Spiel. And I, I, yeah. when I read that, I, I was like, okay, well, that, that's a question that I should ask. And they, I just kind of got laughed at. They're like, I guess it could work. Like you could kind of figure it out, but like totally different, weird way. But yeah, in, in retrospect, I, I quit drinking. There's no point in me drinking when, it came down to it. Um, like with the driving laws, you kind of always have to have that person that's on call in a job that I'm in. And it, it seems like everyone, the heavy drinking's kind of not dead, but it's not there as much anymore in our province. Just because like uh, all of us have jobs that we need to get to on Monday morning. So the law, and- so the law worked, but yeah, one of the, yeah, one the of the, lot work, one of the byproducts is it's also hurt the curling clubs. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, a life is a lot more important than a game of curling. Yep. And uh, but I mean, is there just a? I mean, is there just a certain number? I mean, is there is there just a certain amount of the 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 curling public that is just not willing to divorce the two things, the drinking and the curling? Like you can't have one without the other. Absolutely. Honest to God. I, I've talked to so many people about this. Like this, this wasn't a thing that I just wanted to do off quick in an afternoon. Like I, I did my work and there were people that would, that did not, uh, like, um, buy their membership back this year because there was no point for them. Mm -hmm. And it's in a weird way. It's kind of sad in a weird way. It's kind of, it's, it's just, it's an odd thing to think of. And when I tweeted it out and started bringing it to people's attention, people definitely listened and they were like, we didn't think of that. That's insane. <laughs> but yeah. So what, what's being done to kind of try and reverse these trends? If you know, you're losing a certain, a certain percentage of the population who can't, um, can't separate the drinking and the curling, but what can you, what, what's being done to kind of bring in people who maybe wouldn't have curled otherwise, you know, there's gotta be some people who, um, maybe it's more attract, maybe going to the curling club is more attractive now that the drinking isn't there. Right. Like, is there anything, what's being done to try to try and reverse the trends and the, 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 the decline of the number of curlers? I think when it comes down to it, it, if you marketed it correctly, it would work. Um, but right now what they're just trying to do, they're honestly, they're building the game from, from the smallest standpoint you can. They're, they're teaching the kids and it may suck in a few years if these small town curling clubs do close, but at the same time, you're always going to have the ones in Saskatoon. You're always going to have the ones in Regina. You're going to have the ones in Moose Jaw. There's uh, the Twin Rivers Curling Club in North Battleford is is a year round facility. 
Um, and as long as you can keep that going. And the thing is like for curling, no one's no one involved in the game is going to tell, you, no, they're consistently going to tell you to continue to curl. Um, and I know at twin rivers, cause I was, I worked very closely with them. Uh, and Ian Naismith up there, he's the head ice technician and he, did the ice for all the uh, grand slams in the province. And um, it, he just, he kept reiterating to me, it has to be grown through the kids because even if we're going through a lull now, if you're planning for the future, then you at least have that base. Cause maybe out of 20 kids that curl um, when they're like 12 or 13, two kids love the game. Maybe one goes on to do something special, right? In theory. So. Yeah, I did. I mean, that's a good point. I, cause I do a fair bit of junior coaching, obviously. So uh, I agree that that's kind of part of the key of growing the game, but exactly as you say, I think the, the attrition rate seems pretty high and it seems like there's a couple of kind of natural break points. One's I guess 16, 17, where some of the kids get, really competitive and try to go far in juniors and some kind of wander away. And I think when they age out, that's the other, other point where a lot of, a lot of uh, juniors who came up just move on to something else with their lives. They're kind of wrapping up university, trying to get a career. So you also lose people there. What, what I'm curious about is, do you see anything being done to kind of catch 20 somethings uh, who didn't curl as juniors, but, are kind of at that stage where maybe other sports are starting to fade away either because of cost or just, you know, they're, they're not going to go, they're not going to be able to go any further any than say hockey or football. So they're looking for something else. Are any of these small town clubs looking at a way to kind of capture that mid to late twenties demographic? Uh, not that I've seen, but they should. Um, it's curling can have a resurgence. And when I was writing this, I, hoped it fell in the right hands to make those things happen. Um, obviously we're in the off season now in Saskatchewan. There's, there's definitely no curling going on today. I think it's supposed to be 29. Uh, nice. <laughs> 29 Celsius, yeah. Celsius. Oh, no Fahrenheit. Yeah. Fahrenheit's way over my head. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no Fahrenheit, Ryan. <laughs> but, but when you, when you think about it, like that's a, that's a big demographic that can be kind of, taken over right um and i think they just have to push the fact that you don't have to be a rachel Holman, you don't have to be a robin silvernagel um you can just go out and have fun with your your friends for a weekend go spieling right and that's what they used to say yeah i, I think that's part of it too exactly is that like spiels back in the old day was just get four buddies, go have a party for the weekend and you'd play a few games, but you know, if you fell down to the C or the D flight, it wasn't too big a deal. You just have more fun at the bar. Uh, I think that, yeah, the, the competitive angle also seems to be driving off, not even like that kind of middle tier curler we're talking about that. They're just like, there's no chance keeping up with a home or a silver nagel. So why even bother showing up? Yeah, exactly. And, in a weird way, marketing these bond spiels, like obviously marketing is difficult in a weird way, but it's very easy to market these things. I've seen a lot of, 
on my Instagram. Imagine Canadian Instagram, guys. Uh, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> just flying through the winter. You get on Saturday and you go through your Instagram, and there's there's people just at a bond spiel, and they they dress up too. They're fun spiels. Uh, if you market it like that, like that look, that sounds like one hell of a weekend. To be quite honest, it would be it would be fun. Uh, people need to just figure out more unique ways. I think we've we've looked at this sport from a, a sense in which it's a a lot of people just consider it an old person sport. Uh, I think what you have to start doing is thinking of it in a different way. Like why? How do we get people out here? Well, people like to have fun. Like I said, there's not much to do in this province. Um, we have things, but not very many of them. Um, and yeah, if, if you can get that demographic into the rink, I think you're, you're doing a lot better than you are now. Um, when it comes to small towns though, it's, it's a little bit different because the accommodations aren't there and that kind of stuff, but it kind of seems like you have to know a guy to go to that small town, right? So. Brady, I don't think you're going to get hired by Saskatchewan's tourism department. <laughs> no, I think so. I, I was born and bred here. I'm I'm pretty good at tourism. I, I talked about I talked about cold rinks for a month last year. It was great. <laughs> I think, so it, I mean, is that a big? Because here in the states, like every bond spiel that I know of is more of the fun spiel, where it's you know get your buddies together and play. You know, is it is is it not that way in Canada? I guess that's for both of you since you're the Canadians. Um, like are, are the bond spiels there more generally looked at as competitive rather than just for fun? And like, how, is there a way to reverse that? And, you know, it, it's kind of funny just to, if Canada started changing some of their curling, um, you know, some of their curling culture based on what the States were doing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think that there's, it's overly competitive. I just think that people are too busy. Yeah, I think that's... <laughs> Honestly... Yeah, I'd say that's part of it, right? People are too busy, and even a weekend these days seems like too much of a commitment, which is you know a shame, but we all have other things going on. But what what is the standard kind of non-competitive spiel like in Saskatchewan? Is it... Uh, are they getting all dressed up? Is there like a, a pot theme or, I don't know, what Halloween costume theme for, for some of these small small town spiels? Yeah, there it's lots of theme, it's lots of dressing up. Uh and when you can get prizes for people and make them not make them dress up but push them to do that, that's that's perfect. Um and like I said, it's the marketing factor, like a couple changes at these small town clubs and I think that you could really push it, right? Um but it's it's just a matter of everyone's so busy and uh that's not me saying that that's everyone that I talk to saying that um, around the game and around the, the grassroots game. Um, and it's, it's definitely tough to see, but I think you have an untapped demographic there. Um, if you, a lot of the older bond spiels used to be full weekends, make it a day, just a day. That's all you really need. Yeah, I think actually even like growing up, it was even longer. So like the big men's spiel at my club was, I think it ran Monday through Sunday. <laughs> so yeah. there's like, you know, yeah. the out-of-town teams might come in Thursday night 
Uh, but uh, the local teams would be expected to start playing like Monday or Tuesday night, play a couple of games. Um, that's just not sustainable anymore, right? So, and even yeah, still, and- I find sp- some bond spiels are like, oh, we'll give you a draw at, you know, 9 a.m. on the Friday. And that's that could be tough for a team to get all four guys off work. Yeah, exactly. And when I was uh, growing up, I I remember going to – we went to the uh, mixed – spiel um i was like i think i was in grade 11 or 12 so uh 16 17 years old playing against like like grown men and it it was completely horrible and when i understand the fact that like you're gonna have to play them at some point but for me getting beat up at the bond spiel kind of in a weird way it i don't think it turned me off from the game but it definitely didn't help me like these people were out there being extremely competitive and focusing on just beating the crap out of us rather than trying to help us out and literally just teach us the fundamentals of the game right yeah i mean that's that's Um, no fun i don't i don't think it's fun for either team right because the other team probably is looking for a, a good competition too. So they just don't want to be rolling over a team that's, that's just starting and figuring things out. So. Oh, they, they're competitive though. That like, that's the thing. Like there a lot of bond spiels. Like there's a lot of teams that go in there, like looking to win and looking to win big. Um, so it, it does suck when you look at it from that standpoint. Uh, Cause you're not going to grow the game in that way. Like you're not going to just turn kids off by doing that. Right. Yeah. Or you are going to. Yeah, you, know, you definitely are. So, so, so it sounds like they don't really differentiate much between different ability levels and, in bond spiels. No. And, and that might be a little bit of an issue with, with the amount of people curling. Um, it's, it's super, it's such a complex question to answer. And I, I just tried my best to, to in those three articles to encapsulate as much as po- like as much as you possibly can. So yeah. So uh, if if we're losing rec curlers in Saskatchewan, is, do you also notice a decline in curling fans since you've been kind of covering some of the big events too? You know what? No, and that's that's the weird thing. People still love watching it, and it a lot of people like when they ask me what I do it. Oh, I cover this, 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 this curling too. And they're just like, Oh, that must be boring. But you get them and you sit them down and you actually get them to watch it. And it's for me, it, it's literally watching it and not really critiquing it, but sitting there and being like, okay. All right. So if, if she gets it there, you have to understand it. That's the thing too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's not right? an easy it's game to a... explain, right? No, exactly. I just tried explaining it, and I went totally blank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yeah, it's it's one of those games that you have to have a background in, and you have to understand, um, or else you're going out there and you're you're totally lost. So yeah, but in general, for for people watching it, I think with social media and the way that social media is run. Um, that's another market where like you can be anywhere in the world and get up to date 
scores in any sport, not just curling, but when it comes to curling, um, you have all the sheets. There's so many people <laughs> curling at the same time. Like they can't have six cameras. Like the the TV stations up here, it's TSN one to five, and it's Sportsnet. I think they have seven. So on a perfect day where you'd have nothing else on and you could somehow get like a bunch of teams of broadcasters, then that day, just that day, you could cover every single game going on. But it is impossible to cover every single game. So it's with social media, you can get someone tweeting out, like even from an actual team's account, like the amount of likes and retweets that some of the curling teams get are just unreal. And I got favorited by Rachel Holman and my video got watched like 10, 12,000 times. I'm like, wow. what's going on? <laughs> yeah, it was a favorite. It wasn't even a retweet, but like there's definitely a following and there's a hefty following on social media. Is is the fan base getting younger? I mean, I guess if the if the younger people maybe aren't coming in droves to the curling club, are the are the is the is the fan base getting younger, or is it still older? Older, and how much how much of an impact have uh, the the Silver Nagel and the Myers teams had on that? I I think it's it's getting younger for sure. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, because you see so many kids. I took my two year old son. He could. He did not care whatsoever, but at the same time, I'm like, I've never been to like a a bond spiel of this nature. You may as well go when you're two, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it. I think it just needs to be ingrained, um, and obviously, there's. It's not a need in Sask- in Saskatchewan. We got hockey too, but. Curling, curling is such a different sport, right? And if you can find a way to get more and more of those young fans interested, you're you're doing well. And the curling coverage in Canada is is great. Like I I may have said something wrong about Sportsnet. I shouldn't have. Sportsnet's great, but uh, <laughs> they the way that they sh- showed everything when it came to the Meridian and the best part about the way that they did it was so when you're looking at the, at the grand slam of curling, right? So you're going to all these either big markets or medium markets when it comes to Canada. Uh, And every time you go to one of those cities, you have people just packed in that city and helping out the economy. And somehow some way someone's going to get a free ticket. You're going to end up going. Right when it comes to something like North Battleford, fourteen thousand people, you're gonna end up going. And if you love it, you love it. If you don't, you don't. But at the same time, just giving curling a chance, and that's that's one thing that everyone I think needs to do is give curling that chance. Right. So, so you t- you kind of talked about the silver nagel effect in the stories that you did this summer. Yeah. I mean, it's been it's been. 1980 since Saskatchewan won a briar you can um you can sort of count um 
Oh, who uh, you can sort of count Mark Dacey, but not really. He didn't. He wasn't wearing green when he won, even though he's from Saskatoon. But uh, how? What impact would it be if Saskatchewan broke that streak and won a, won another Briar? Uh, Colton Flash, he just won a gold medal, or not a gold medal. Sorry, well, he won a Briar. Yeah, yeah. Flash, Flash, yeah, he won a Briar. Briar. Yeah, he's on Cooey's team. That that would be the closest that we've got isn't ben ben heber's from saskatchewan yeah. too right or yeah yeah he's also yeah. from saskatchewan uh, Pat, yeah, and Pat Simmons. There. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of players yeah. from saskatchewan have gone on to yep. do really yeah. well they often just move to the they either move to winnipeg or alberta it seems like because those are the the bigger metropolitan areas yeah and we i don't want to say we have a problem with curling in canada for competitiveness but it's definitely a weird way of looking at everything. Um, Cause you go through <clears throat> and these, these tournaments that they like the Briar and the Scotties, they literally have to play the hell out of one another for like a week straight. You get through that. Um, and you go on to, to the higher levels. And it like in Canada, we have so many good teams that could, do so well and they do so well on the world stage but when it comes down to it there's only that one team that can go through and it sucks that Saskatchewan we haven't been able to get through and do too too much when it comes to our skips or our our provincial teams but uh with I think that we're not far off um Dunstone he's originally from Manitoba but he curls here, um, and Myers on the men's side. Myers is sneaky good, and Dunstone is is just he's he's really good. Um, they oh, what did they win in Sweden? Oh, they they, they won, won the curling world, world cup. cup. R.I.P. Curling yeah, world yeah, yeah, cup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's super weird because it was just like I was looking at my phone one day and it was like, oh, Dunstone beat Nicholas Adine. Okay, that that's that was interesting. We didn't expect that one, but yeah, okay. Uh, but from the whole world standpoint, like it's we're just put on a. It sucks, but we are put on that higher level, um, and it was super weird talking to people not from Canada and not from Saskatchewan at that uh, Meridian Canadian Open earlier. Uh, I talked to some of the. Swedish players and just they're like the atmosphere it's it's just unreal here right um and it was like an 8:30 draw and no one was there <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh anyways back I'm just rambling today it's it's one of those days but uh <laughs> some people some people describe our entire podcast that way <laughs> <laughs> isn't that the only reason podcasts were created so a bunch of people can just ramble on about whatever they want right uh but when it comes to Saskatchewan I don't think that we're far off especially with Silvernagel and and Silvernagel is really it's she's tapping all the all the different areas like in Saskatchewan we we've needed someone like that since Michelle Inglot but now Michelle Inglot's back which which is great for the sport here uh it's going to be one hell of a a Scotties like a provincial Scotties next year 
it's going to be so much fun to watch. I'm definitely going. If I'm not covering it, I'm going to go watch, and maybe someone will get stuck in a snowstorm, and I will have to cover it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, honest to God, it's it's going to be great because uh, you have the Sherry Anderson, uh, Sherry Andersons of the world. You have Michelle Inglot now uh, coming back in, and you have Silvernagel, who is a force. And Silvernagel's just she's so sneaky good that watching her. It's it's fun, right? Because she can sit there and she can literally just take over a game and it can be done in six ends. And if that doesn't happen, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, this is going to be a battle. It's going down to the last rock, maybe even an extra end. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun for sure in Saskatchewan next year. But one thing I wanted to mention about Silvernagel. So... Uh, obviously when she was getting on that higher stage, like I was covering her from not, not the actual, uh, Scotty's tournament of hearts. I was still in North Battleford, but, um, obviously when you're covering anything like this, first thing you do, Google the name, make it quicker, make it pop up fast. And the first thing that whole week that I saw on Google was Robin Silvernagel's eyelashes. Like, super weird, eh? Yeah. Super weird, but it's... it's People are looking for it. People are searching her name. That's good. It doesn't matter if it's about her eyelashes. I wish it was more about her curling. But it, people are getting interested. And that's all that's needed at this point, is they just need to have that interest. Yeah, she, talk, she talked about that. Uh, she went on the two girls in a game podcast uh and they they talked about the good and the bad aspects of that um so that that was a good listen she was really good on that podcast yeah i never got to hear that that's gonna be put on my things to do though (laughs) um yeah that team uh that team surprised me i did not expect a lot out of that team going into the scotties but for them to do as well as they were i mean i was i mean they they played outstanding and yeah now they're I mean, they're they're on everyone's radar coming into this season, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how other teams um, take them next year, just because they are they they seem like they mm-hmm. had that new kid on the block kind of thing going on. Um, now people know who they are, but at the same time, in Saskatchewan, we knew who she was. She was knocking on the door. I think this was her third time in a row going into the uh, provincial Scotties, uh, which in the most Saskatchewan way is called the Viterra Scotties, just so you guys know. And the Viterra Scotties, at least for the last couple of years, Viterra is a is a grain company. Of course as well. it is. So <laughs> Agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, besides that point, uh, at the Viterra Scotties, she was just knocking on the door. She lost in heartbreaking fashion the past few years. And then this year it it was so close. I I remember being on the ice for that and she was down to is the last rock for Anderson and Anderson is in the extra end too. And she missed. And I was like, I'm taping this on video. I'm recording everything. I, I stand up and I'm like, okay, it missed. Everyone's freaking out, and I'm panning around, and I'm like, "Where's Robin?" <laughs> we can't. No one knows where Robin is. All of a sudden, the door opens, and she comes flying in, and I'm like, 
where was she? And she was like, afterwards, she's like, I, I couldn't watch. After, after those few years of just the heartbreaks, there was no way she could watch that. And obviously I get that, that that would have been the weirdest thing ever. And especially from her standpoint too, because Sherry Anderson, she's a, she's a senior skip in the province too. So she, she wins all of the Scotties on that side. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Robin's mom still curls with, with uh, Sherry. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's one of those weird curling stories. And then also you throw in Sandra Schmirler in there that made bigger, the perfect place to do this deep dive into curling as well. But yeah, it's Robin has, she's, it's just such a, just the way that she curls is unlike other curlers, right? Cause you got Homan, Homan's kind of just quiet, boom, 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 boom. She turns it on in the seventh end and there's no way you can do anything. Uh, and when it comes to Robin, like you can get two different Robins. You can get one that just beats you up consistently from the beginning or one that is literally just quiet, waits, 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 and this is going to go down to the last rock and most likely she's going to be in control. So. Yeah, well, that's, that's a good way to play, right? So she's sounds like she either gets yeah. you early or is quite comfortable hanging in and, and manipulating the game. So she's she's got last last shot at the end of it. Yeah, exactly. And and obviously, like, Robin's, just her IQ for the game, being the skip, is just unreal. Like, to, <laughs> to be taught by her mom, first off, all the other people in Bigger, and Bigger, I listed a few of the people that um, went on to win or play at the international stage, but for other curlers within um, Bigger, like there's a lot that could be up there. Um, but just, just she's got that IQ and she's got that understanding, and I don't think we've seen someone like that at that demographic that kind of touches on all demographics in a weird way. If you guys understand what I mean, um, she's making the sport fun to watch again. I'm curious about bigger. So what do you think it is about bigger that it's able to keep generating uh, elite curlers. What's what is it about the club, the community? Because it's you see this from time to time. There's a lot of little hotbeds around Canada, but also mm-hmm. you know Hibbing and Bemidji in Minnesota are kind of classic hotbeds that have kind of churned out a lot of the top curlers. So, what do you think it is about that club in particular that's that's led to so many greats coming out of bigger? Um. <laughs> Sandra Schmirler? <laughs> That's pretty easy. Eh? Why Sandra Schmirler? Like, there's, there had to be something there. Like, you know, in any sport, even if there's, like, a great athlete coming from that spot, there's a whole bunch of other things often going on behind the scenes to make that that elite athlete possible, right? So what what about the club made, made it possible for Sandra Schmirler, too? I think Sandra Schmirler... Uh, I, I think that you have a lot of elite curling, especially back in the day, before my time, um, of people 
going through curling and perfecting the club yeah. level so much so that it only took a few people to break out and go to the provincial or go to the Scotties and win a Scotties. And a lot of this is luck, but like then there's the trick or trickle down effect. Like as weird as it sounds, I'll, I'll throw this to a hockey standpoint, uh, Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia with Sidney Crosby. And then a few years later, Nathan McKinnon comes out. Yeah. Right. You guys, do you guys understand? You guys yep. know hockey, eh? Yeah. Or not? <laughs> yes. I, I just, I just aid you. I aid you. I think that was the first A I yes, gave you. Did. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just, it's that kind of, I don't want to say chosen one, but chosen one in a weird way. Like uh, when you go through, there's always, there's curling legends in all these small towns, eh? But, uh, oh, now I'm going to do it without even thinking about it. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, I think there's small town curling legends everywhere. And it, it took, uh, it took Schmerler to go through and win all these things to kind of get that spotlight on bigger and just keep them pushing. So what happens if they're not able to completely reverse these trends of, you know, the number of competitive number of rec curlers, declining there in Saskatchewan if if the bigger club were to ever close what's the future of curling look like in Saskatchewan and maybe even you know across the prairies and across Canada so I I've talked to a lot of people about this I've thought a lot about this um and I think the one big census that I've kind of came to from a lot of people is that the small town curling clubs are going to close and it's going to be pushed into the bigger cities. So that's Saskatoon, North Battleford, Moose Jaw, Swift Current, um, Regina. But at the same time, there's there's another thing that, that Americans do as well, like you guys. Um, and it's super weird. I think it's odd. I don't think I'd be able to jump on board, but I, you might have to the way things are going. Um, and that's curling on hockey ice. And that's, what I do. that's not, pe- <laughs> that's not pebbled. And it, it would it just be, pebbled. yeah, we, well, no, we put layers of pebble down. It's just not nearly as many as you'll find at. Yeah. At a curling it's club. not flat. It's <laughs> we're, able to, we're, able to, we're able to do a couple of passes of pebble before we have to, before we're, before we start. <laughs> You're not sending out the figure skaters after that one, eh? <laughs> the problem is the problem is we curl after the figure skaters, and we have to deal with ah. we have to deal with the massive cut the the toe picks in the ice. Yeah, the deep cuts, and you're just like ah, throw it off to this side a little bit. It'll get a little bit of a bounce from that one, basically. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that's the way it's going. Um, I talked to I talked to Robin later on in the season, and. Uh, she said that in a couple of weeks she was going to one of these uh, these fun spiels on ice. She was just she's like I don't think I've ever done it before, but figure it out, right? Um, also, the way another issue that I kind of came across was it's a foursome, right? For teams, if you have four players and you're trying to figure out like four different schedules, so like it's almost impossible in any way, shape, or form to get four people out unless you're 
in my standpoint, a university student, I used to be one. I was one for way too long. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's when you get families, everything changes. And one thing that they're trying to do to combat that is, is start to push mixed doubles. And mixed doubles may be the resurgence in the game that we've been looking for. Um, then you're only focusing on two people. It's a lot quicker. It's a lot faster. It checks off every box that you may have in why you don't like curling. And mixed doubles, it could be the future of curling. So it, it, going back to arena curling, and then we'll go, then we'll look at mixed doubles. But going back to as you would, as we refer to it in in the U.S. arena curling, you know, what's the reaction going to be there? I mean, are you going to see? Are you going to lose the older curlers who won't who thumb their nose at curling on hockey ice? And or would it be? Is it? Are they going to be able to? gain enough first generation curlers to who don't know any better to make up for it because i know here in the states a lot of the arena clubs one of the problems they run into is the the expats who are in those population centers just will not curl on hockey ice and some clubs um Basically, they they went all in on building a dedicated facility just because it was the only way they were going to get any expats. So, what's going to happen if you're if you suddenly have a lot more arena curling there in Saskatchewan and, and in Canada? Um, I think for the most part, people embrace it. Um, I mean, it's it would definitely be weird. It would be like playing street hockey rather than real hockey. Um, and I think, honestly, it, it would be more of a push to the generations like me, mid twenties, mid thirties, haven't curled, want to do something for the weekend. Uh, I think it would definitely hit that demographic more. Um, the older generation you may see fizzle out because it's not what they're used to. Right. Um, and yeah, it, it would. It's definitely going to be weird, but at the same time, there could be that snowball effect where, okay, well, he's going. We want to beat him because we're very overly competitive sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we want to beat him. We want to beat that team. We want to win. Let's go, right? There's still that competitive side. So I don't know. It could be interesting. I I, I don't see it. I don't see it falling on its face and failing, but. I don't, I don't see it being picked up immediately, right? It might be a couple of years before people fully jump on board or um, just think that that's normal. Because um, curling clubs in Saskatchewan, most of the curling clubs I've been to, probably we'll put an, about a 90% uh, on there. So you go into the curling club, you have like the general watching area. You obviously have the ice and then... Up top, you got the bar, and that's definitely the busy place. So it it would definitely be weird. There'd be a couple different ways that you'd have to run it. Obviously, a hockey rink's a lot bigger than um, some curling sheets, but yeah, it it would. I think it would work overall. That would just be another way that curling culture in Canada would start to mirror curling culture in the U S if you started seeing arena clubs popping up, uh, there in Saskatchewan. Um, and then is mixed doubles kind of the same way? Is there, is there an older generation that 
still kind of doesn't understand it or, or thumbs their nose at it and is something that the, the, the younger people have, gradu- have uh, gravitated to? Yes and no. I think it's still curling, so they still want to watch it. Um, my Yeah, it's, it's a different type of game, right? Um, you're, you're focusing on this in a totally different way because you got one sweep or you don't, yeah, you have one sweeper, I believe if they can get through it's, it's just, it's totally different and new. And there's a lot of people that don't like to change. Um, but I think this is what the game needs because you do that. You're directly running through and you're getting that younger crowd that, all those no's can be turned into yeses because of this this game. First thing I'm thinking is arena curling is actually pretty common in Scotland. Most of the clubs up here or most of the rinks here actually split between mostly figure skating and, and general public skating and curling. But they do it in a really different way. So they'll basically say three days a week there's curling and then the other four days a week there's skating. And they bring an ice tech in and spend the night flipping it over from uh, skating to curling. And it's actually normally pretty good ice. Like I don't really, you know, some, some, of the, some of the rinks are actually really good ice, like better than a lot of curling only clubs I've played on. So it doesn't have to be the American model of, you know, end the free skate, bring the Zamboni out, throw some pebble down, and you're curling in 30 minutes. And and there's good reasons for kind of sharing the facility between two different sports because ice is is pretty much just ice. Uh, and the second thing is I did, going back to one thing that Brady said before was uh, about how easy it is for mixed doubles. I'm just struck by that kind of trying to plan up my season for next year. And if you only have to text one person and say, "Can you do this thing? Can you do this weekend? Do you like this hotel?" That's that's a lot easier than a four person team where, you know, you got three out of the four saying, yeah, or one of them's away that weekend or one of them's got uh, a work commitment. So it really does make it tricky to do a four person thing compared to a two person thing. So I'd agree with both those points. I'm wondering, just to get back to the Briar and Scotty's stuff. So certainly Saskatchewan's obviously had more recent success in the Scotty's angle, but probably until Robin Silvernagel's breakthrough this season, it's, kind of fair to say in the last decade there hasn't been an elite uh women's team and i'm talking elite in terms of like a team that's going to be contending for the scotties title and uh in the men's side they've had a lot of good teams but again they haven't had like one of those powerhouse teams that can kind of match a martin or a howard or uh uh you know uh, a Cooley or someone of that caliber. So do you think that would change the club participation and would that change the fan base if, if uh, Saskatchewan had kind of a, a powerhouse team on either the men's or the women's side? Um, <clears throat> like in, in correlation with mixed doubles? Well, in any of those three, right? I think that, you know, Saskatchewan always has great curlers, but it's never quite punches through at the national level, never quite punches through on the on tour with the slams, right? Because Kirk Myers has done really well. Yeah, it's true. Stuff. He's won, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's kind of embraced that that side of his game too, and I think it, it's made him a better a better foursome curler as well. Um, but I, I think what more needs to be done? I don't know. They, we go through these eras in sport in, in general where it's, it's always the, 
same teams that are up there. And I think that we're getting to an era in curling where it's starting to become a little bit more wide open. Obviously, Kevin Cooey is the best male curler in the world. Um, but and and that sounds weird coming from me. Obviously, I'll be biased because I'm Canadian. But just the way that guy plays is unbelievable. Uh, and with curling, it's a a lot of these games are flip a coin, who's going to win, right? Um, but on the men's side, I think we just need to continue to build and just wait, wait it out. Really, um, when someone <clears throat> like like Holman, for instance, has been there for so long, and Jones, and you're kind of seeing a shift now. I think that's that's what needs to be done. Is just you, you kind of have to wait it out. And it sucks that you have to wait it out when it comes to decades, but like the Raptors, they waited 24 <laughs> years <laughs> in, in a weird sense. Like you just kind of have to wait and just continuously get better and take advantage of what is given to you. So do you think the new residency rule is going to have any impact on the competitive curling seas? uh, standards in Saskatchewan? I don't think so. Um, just the way that our teams have been built in the past, they've been pretty pretty solid from that standpoint. Like, Silver Nagel's not going to have any issues because uh, Thev- Thevenot's PA uh, and then Lawton's PA and then Hunkins, the import, I think that's going to be actually better for for us from our standpoint. Um, don't got to change anything. There's other teams that will have to change, um, and I think that the new rules are they're good. It yeah. <laughs> I'm actually wondering if the birthright rule is kind of a sneaky advantage for Saskatchewan, right? Because there's a lot of great curlers yeah. that that kind oh, of have yeah. Saskatchewan birthright but live in Ontario or Alberta now. So yeah, yeah, I. I think that's that's perfect. That's going to show our our grassroots side, and obviously we've we love curling here, and we've brought out a lot of great product for curling, um, not just in bigger, but um, definitely all across the province. So I think it's it's definitely going to help. All right. So overall, I guess we'll kind of start wrapping up. But overall, do you have? I mean, is your view of the future of curling there in Saskatchewan, is your view positive or negative? What do you kind of, what, what's your outlook? Um, negative. It was negative until I wrote this. It felt a lot better after, um, as I knew, I knew people read it. Uh, it was one of those articles that didn't do as well as I thought. Uh, it did really well on Twitter. But from other standpoints, it didn't. But it was one of those that I knew people read. And especially people that are in power, because those are the people that I talk to about it, right? Um, and it, I think that it got people thinking. And that's, that's the first step when it comes to stuff like this. If there's a game that's dying out, like, how do we save it? And if it 
took me calling and talking to people and hanging around curling rinks all winter. Hell, I'd do that again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it just, I don't want to say to save a sport. I'm, I'm no Batman. Uh, but it, it definitely felt good because it got it on paper and it got it out there because it was always whispers about the whole alcohol consumption and the whole, the whole difference in laws. Now everything's changed now. Um, and it just took someone to put that on paper or put that on the internet and get people talking about this. And I think that it, it was perfect in that sense because now curl SAS curling Canada, they, they would have had to read it. They, they were in it. I had Ashley Howard is one of the people I talked to. Um, and I think that when they see it from that standpoint, they see it from the small towns, like bigger. I think it, it definitely sends a message that we're not ready for this game to die. And I, in the future, I do see a lot of the smaller curling clubs die out, but at the same time, from the Saskatoons and the Reginas, I think we're 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 fine. I think we've, in terms of um, actual elite curlers, I don't think we've ever been at a point where we're better. So, I think the game's good. We're good. <laughs> that's uh, uh, that's that's good to hear. And since since you are in Saskatchewan, we, we can't let you leave the podcast without asking you, uh, how are the writers looking this year? Um, incredibly mediocre. Um, and it sucks because you go into every single season and you're like, ah, this is the year, this is the year, this is like 2013. And it, it ends up biting you. But, uh, no, uh, Zach Lars got hurt earlier on in the season. That's the, the, our starting quarterback. Um, and yeah, he got hurt on the third offensive play. He was sliding and Simone Lawrence hit him in the head. Nice little headshot there. Uh, so yeah, he's injured, but Cody Fajardo has been great. Uh, they had a little slip up against Calgary last week, but I think all in all, they, they're doing really well, uh, for the standpoint that they were in Chris Jones left for Cleveland, uh, at an awkward time. And Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day are just doing as much as they possibly can to keep the keep the guys going. They made a few great acquisitions in the summer or in the winter, and they're just coming off injured reserve as well. It's it's the CFL is a long season. There's 18 games, so you can't base the first four games uh, off of determining how a whole season is going to go. I think we're going to be okay. Um, Cody Fajardo, I think he threw for something like 900 yards in his first two games as he started. And that was, I think it was a new Canadian football record. So, you know, things are looking up from that standpoint. We got a passing game this year. That's good. <laughs> uh, gonna, make, gonna make the playoffs. I uh, in, in the CFL. It's bait. It's pretty easy to make the playoffs. Yeah. Have to make the playoffs Mon- right. Montre- Montreal's pretty bad on the other side. So <laughs> worst case scenario, we're going through the crossover. I there's I think we're gonna make the playoffs. It's it's gonna be a long season, but like we always beat Winnipeg on Labor Day, so we're all good. <laughs> it's all that matters, right? All right, Jonathan, you got anything else? Uh no, I think this is a good good discussion for sure. And uh <laughs> 
<laughs> Ryan is the kind of guy who will actually text me about CFL football <laughs> on a Sunday, Sunday night in uh, a Saturday night in July. So it's uh, Ryan's sports interests are pretty uh, diverse. So the C- you, you the just CFL. Get a- you get a text. There's a guy named Poop Johnson on the field. What is this? Yeah, uh, yeah, that that is literally what Ryan will text me on a Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> is that his given name? <laughs> Ryan will then know what college he went. He'll break down like his his record in D three, <laughs> which you know he played for. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, this, the CFL the CFL gets me to uh, Virginia Tech football season uh, for when when American Labor Day uh, rolls around and and our college football season starts. I have the CFL until then. <laughs> Your favorite part of the year is training camp. <laughs> Just like oh, I remember where he played. I remember where he played. Yeah, August when or yeah, August when Virginia Tech's players report to camp and we finally start getting news. That's when I that's that's when my that's when I stop paying attention to the CFL. But I have a good two three months where I'll actually sit there and watch on weekends because it's my it it uh, you know it scratches the itch until American football rolls around. Yeah, exactly. So hockey not a thing or hockey a thing for you. Uh, I watch, but my team's the Sabers. So, oh, that's yeah. horrible! Why yeah. would you do that to yourself? Uh, uh, NHL '94. They were really when oh. when I was a when I was a lad. Uh, NHL '94 was very big in my personal growth and development, and the Sabers were really good on NHL '94. So I had I had McGillney and Lafontaine and Howard Chuck, and just ran rough shot over uh, the rest of the teams on NHL 94. So I've been rooting for the Sabres since then. And, uh, it has been a while since, uh, since I've had anything to root for. (laughs) Well, like they, I love that. I love their old jerseys, the black ones, but like, like now it's the, the jerseys are, uh, the team is, uh, and I don't think they're ever going to really do anything playoffs, maybe three, four years down the road. I don't know. They'll make the playoffs this year. Oh, you think so? I think yeah. so. I think the okay. I think the goaltending finally gets sorted out. I think Olmark emerges, and I think he'll be. I think Olmark emerges this year, and that's what kind of what they've been missing. Um, I like the signings that they had. I like the trades that they made this offseason. I think they're going to make the playoffs this year. I'm probably the only optimistic Sabers fan this season. <laughs> probably, yeah, <laughs> most likely. I I'm a I'm a Flames fan by nature, uh, just because they were very close to me in my first NHL video game. Jerome McGinley was on the cover, so I guess who my favorite hockey player is of all time. But I've always just I've loved the Toronto Maple Leafs, and for the reason no one else likes the Leafs, and that's just because they have so much coverage. Yeah. I love it. I love consuming content. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, Here in the states, uh, the Sabers actually do really well ratings wise. So even though they're terrible, they yeah, always they always get mm-hmm. a bunch of games on NBC Sports Network. So I get to see them lose a lot. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Why is that? That's it's always like a random good, eh? team for it to be big uh, in the U.S. Uh, I would say I'm going to defer to what Brady said about Saskatchewan um, earlier. There's nothing to do in Buffalo, <laughs> and it's cold there. So all they do is they <laughs> right. get home and they watch the Sabres. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll switch that. There is things to do in, in Saskatchewan. You just you got to wear a coat, right? <laughs> all right. All right. So, yeah. Before we all right. So before we head out, tell us what are what are. If we're going to visit Saskatchewan, if I'm going to visit Saskatchewan for a weekend, what do, what do I need? When, to what time out? of year? What time of year? Uh, you gotta go with that year? I'll say, 
You know what? I'll go worst case scenario. I will say January. Sam insists. Say some something terrible has happened to in my life, and I'm in Saskatchewan in January. What do I need to check out? Uh, WHL hockey, SJHL hockey, uh, and hopefully you have a Meridian Canadian <laughs> open in there. <laughs> A lot of things that are indoors, huh? Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of things indoors are, um, you know, in, in hockey rinks. It, that's kind of indoors, too, but it's still cold. Um, that, yeah, yeah, that's about it, unless you're going to bring up, like, a skidoo or something. But, yeah, I don't think that you guys have skidoos in North Carolina. Virginia. but Virginia, uh, sorry, sorry, yeah. I, what I, is, all right, so, uh, that, well, I don't know. What's a skidoo? A skidoo. You know what a skidoo you know what is? A skidoo is. Jeez, oh, we probably we probably call it something different. This guy calls a a toque a knit cap probably too, eh? Actually, I, yeah, I, yeah. I call a, it, a snowmobile. I call Do you know it, what a snowmobile is? Yeah, I know what a snowmobile. That is. that's a it's a snowmobile. It's a brand of snowmobile. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Well, we we usually call it sledding up here, but like people get that confused with tobogganing, and it's just a Saskatchewan thing. So, yeah, I wasn't going to put you through that. You could, yeah, I guess you could go tobogganing. Like, hopefully, it's a mild day, uh. <laughs> especially January. It's cold in January. All right, uh, Brady, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can listen to you, where they can follow you on Twitter, all that. So you can follow me on Twitter at Brady Lang SK like Saskatchewan, but without all the letters. Uh, <laughs> And I work for a 650 CKOM, so you can hear me anchoring basically at any time. Not sure when. It's It, it just happens. Sometimes I pop up on the radio and I start speaking. Um, but yeah, and if you really want to figure out who I am, just come to Saskatoon, I guess. I <laughs> like where people can find you. Saskatoon somewhere, usually. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right well we uh we can't thank you enough for for joining us and we look forward to uh to following your your curling coverage uh throughout this upcoming season um thank you all for listening uh you can find our podcast at rocksacrossthepond.com that's where all of our past episodes live and you should be able to find some hopefully some some blog posts from us uh coming up here in the near future you can find us on twitter at curling podcast uh you can find us on facebook and instagram uh at uh rocks across the pond uh if you liked or hated this episode you can shoot us an email at rocks across the pond at gmail.com uh and be sure to subscribe and leave a review it helps people find us and uh the the biggest compliment we can receive is if you tell a friend that you enjoyed the show and and, and tell them to listen to us uh thank you all and we will talk to you again real soon